today, amen, for your ministry to us with music. See, Tommy said amen. <laughs> I, you, you have to, sometimes to be up here is to see great things, you know. Uh, sometimes it's up here to see during singing, amen. But uh, every time Tommy gets to worshiping back there, uh, Brother Tim gets nervous. He's back there like this, amen. And uh, you ought to know us by now, Brother Tim. We're family. I, I, I don't know what I... As a matter of fact, when, when Tommy's sick and not here, and of course Mindy doesn't make a peep, amen, but uh, when Tommy's not here, I'm like, hey, is anybody going to say amen today or what? Amen. <laughs> so, praise the Lord. We love the Horgans, amen, and a precious part of our church. There are perhaps few greater and more gripping fears than being truly lost somewhere. It is difficult to accurately convey to the generations who have only known GPS and Apple Maps and Google Maps that there was truly a time where you could be somewhere and not have any idea where you were, not have any idea how to get out of there. I, I remember distinctly at just different times, um, but just being someplace and uh, way, way off the beaten path, and then you look at the gas gauge. And again, even gas gauges back then didn't tell you you had 50 miles to empty. When, when, it, when it got in the red, it might be 50 miles or it might be two miles, amen? And just not that, that, that fear of having, you know, again, uh, no, no hope of being found. Uh, many times uh, uh, I spent a lot of time in the woods as a kid. And uh, there would be times, Brother Stark, where, you know, the sun starts to go down and you're like, good night. You know, where on earth are we? And then, you know, you catch a landmark or something like that. But just, just thinking about that, being, being lost. And may I say this spiritually speaking. It is possible for one to be lost and not know it. It is. May I say that everyone is either saved or they are lost. If you have never personally received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that means you, according to the Bible, are lost. You say, well, I don't feel lost. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you feel. The Bible simply says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what was Jesus' purpose for coming into the world? He has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He gave us that parable in Luke chapter 15 of the lost sheep, the lost silver, and the lost son. By the way, I'm glad he is ever seeking those of us who are lost. People, people sometimes will say to me, you know, give me their testimony and they'll, they'll say, you know what, I was really seeking after God and I try to be careful with that brother Cole because right away I want to say, no you weren't. You weren't seeking after God. He was seeking after you. Amen? The Bible says there's none that seeketh after God. None. And so uh, this idea of being lost, fortunately, even though all 
that are not saved are lost. Fortunately, that is why God sent His only begotten Son. Aren't you glad? I was just thinking yesterday as I, I, was, uh, I drove the bus to the ladies' meeting and I went to Panera Bread and put my noise-canceling headphones on and began to just, just work on a, a sermon. And uh, boy, I got, I got an idea for a sermon. And it's not a new idea and it's not a new sermon and it's not a new text. The verse of verses. Say, what's the verse of verses? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, lost, amen, but have everlasting life. We were talking in Sunday school about the blind man. The blind man in, in John chapter 9, and the Pharisees asked him three different times, how did this happen? How did this happen? He told them, Jesus spit in the, the dirt and made clay and put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash and I came seeing. They said, how did this happen? There's no way that could have happened. And finally the third time he said, give us the, give, give God the glory. This man's a sinner. We know he is. He said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But all I know is I was blind and now I see. Aren't you glad here today if you're saved? You were once lost, but now you're saved. That doesn't mean you're sinless. Amen? Well, I think about that. His death on the cross was for those of us who were lost. There's a great verse in 1 Peter 3.18. My life verse for 30 years has been Luke 1.37. And came to that life verse for with God, nothing shall be impossible. It's just a great verse. But I tell you, I've had a couple second place finishers in the life verse. And uh, 1 Peter 3.18 is one of them. For Christ hath once suffered the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That's why he came. He came looking for the lost. He came, made provision so that anybody that, is, that was lost could be saved. But listen to me, if you choose not to be saved, if you choose to reject Jesus, and again, you can go to church all your life and never be saved. You're not saved because your grandma's saved. You're not saved because your dad's a preacher. You're saved. The only people that are saved are those that have recognized their sinful condition and realized that Christ is a Savior and called upon Him for salvation and forgiveness. That's what it is to be saved. That's what it is to be born again. If you've never done that, do it. It's simple. It's simple. It's just by faith. Simply trusting every day, trusting through a stormy way, even when my faith is small, trusting Jesus. That is all. That's all. But if you choose not to be saved, if you say, no, that's not for me, that's pie in the sky, by and by. Oh, the fear that is going to grip you one second after you die. I mean, you're going to close your eyes, take your last breath, and, and you're going to smell sulfur. And you're going to be in a place that the Bible calls eternal torment. And the only break you get is to be judged by God. See, you, you, you literally heard the term, out of the frying pan and into the fire? It's really what happens. People are in, in, in the place called hell. I believe it's in the center of the earth, but I, I wouldn't fuss at somebody who didn't. And, and it's, it's a holding tank. And then one day you're going to be in front of God and your whole life, every sin that you've ever committed is going to be rehearsed 
front of all mankind. Can you imagine? If there was, if there was one reason to get saved, I think that's a pretty good one right there. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If we were to put the sins of one person in this congregation, including the pastor, on that screen for all to see, whoever they were would run out of this building in shame. The great white throne judgment. Oh my goodness. What a fearful time that is. You read about it in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. I call it the nightmare that never ends. Nightmare that never ends. For those that are lost. But again, this message isn't specifically on being saved, but I guess as a preacher I believe that every and any message every God-called preacher is to give people the gospel and give them an opportunity to be saved. Tell them there is a consequence for not being saved. To compel the lost to come to Christ and be saved. You know, when the Titanic sunk April of 1912, the unsinkable Titanic sunk on its maiden voyage. Oh, the irony of, of that man in his haughtiness said even God can't sink this boat and it sunk on its first voyage in London and in New York once word began to come in and again think about communication a hundred years ago tick 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 Morse code and two lists were posted one in New York and one in London and they had two sides to them. And it simply said this. Titanic sunk. Known saved. Known lost. And I want to tell you something. Before God, you're on one of those lists. Known saved or known lost. Again, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad it's simple. I, I am. I'm glad it's simple. Back to that intro I mentioned, there are few greater and more gripping fears than being truly lost. But may I may I one up that? There are even fewer gripping fears of losing one of your children in a large crowd. Most recent vacation here in early December, we were at Disney's Hollywood Studios, and uh, Carrie and the boys were going to uh, ride a ride. I don't, I don't do rough roller coasters. Those, those days have passed for me. Amen. I'm more of a, I'm more of a Dumbo guy. Amen. <laughs> and so Katia and I had dropped them off at the ride, I, uh, whichever one it was. It was definitely one I was not going on. And uh, we began to walk, and there's just a sitting area there, almost like a, a bench. Uh, uh, and we began to walk, and it was a crowd, and of course we kept an eye, and, and Katia had looked up at one of the rides, the tallest ride at Hollywood Studios. She just kind of stopped and, and looked up, and I was like five steps ahead of her. 
Well, it's no big deal in this auditorium if I'm five steps ahead of my daughter. But on a beautiful December day, you know, 55 degrees in Hollywood studios, it was packed. And for about 15 seconds, I did not know where she was. You know, you look back and you're like, okay, she's, she's. And I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, as a parent. We, we, years ago, when the kids were small, we held them by the hand. We didn't wait for them to hold our hands. Amen? And I'm telling you, I, I, I'm looking. She wasn't there, wasn't there. And the fear began to grip me. And bless her heart, there was just a sweetheart of a man. He, he was kind of bending down, talking, Where, where's your dad? And I, you know, I'm just kind of waved like this. And, uh, boy, you know, that's kind of what we have in this text. Context here in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 40. It's very interesting. There's, there's all kinds of ways you could break this down, but I think it's, it's really interesting. In verses 1 through 20, uh, there are three cities that are mentioned here in this text. Three particular distinct cities in regards to Jesus and his life and ministry. And the first one, of course, is Bethlehem. That's mentioned, uh, we know, in verse number 4. Uh, it says there that uh, Joseph came out of the, the city of Nazareth into Judea, into a city of David, which is called what? Bethlehem. And so Bethlehem, of course, has to do with Jesus' birth. We know, just celebrated Christmas time, old little town of Bethlehem. Why was that so important? Because hundreds of years before, in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, God had said that the eternal Son of God, the King of Kings, the, the one whose goings have been from old, even from everlasting, would be born in the city of Bethlehem. If you're here today and you say, you know, I'm not sure about the Bible, if you ever needed something to assure you, it would be Christ's birth in Bethlehem and how it came to pass. Forgive me, it's, it's the season. It's tax season. Don't throw any tomatoes. Save them for the potluck. Amen. <laughs> what, what, what brought... Joseph and a very expectant Mary to Bethlehem. The census. Tax time. They, were, they went to be taxed, everyone. Just an amazing part of the, the story. And when you see God's plan unfolding. Amen. So Bethlehem we see in verses 1 through 20. Verses 21 through 38. So we see Bethlehem, and that has to do with his birth. Uh, Jerusalem, we see Jerusalem there in verse number 21. It says, when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, and Saul was named the angel before he conceived in the womb. And it, it goes on further there, and it talks about uh, verse number, ooh, so where's the one I'm looking for here? I'm looking for... Uh, of course, I can't find it now. Amen. Oh, it is verse 22. Sorry. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to 
Jerusalem. And this had to do with not only Bethlehem with his birth, but Jerusalem had to do with his consecration. Uh, the, the, the parts of the law, the circumcision, all these things about a firstborn baby that were part of his consecration. Amen. And then we find him not only in Bethlehem for his birth in Jerusalem for his consecration, but in Nazareth for his growth. Verses 39 and 40. It says, And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, remember Jesus came to fulfill every jot and tittle of the law. That's what he said. He said that in Matthew chapter 5. He said, I'm not going to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it all. I'm going to be the only one that does it. When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And we see it again in verse number 52 there. It says there, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. A young preacher asked me this week, he said, he said, Pastor, he said, how, how is it possible that Jesus, who is God, increased in wisdom and stature? I said, well, it's only possible because of the amazing grace of God, the fact that Jesus Christ was 100% God and 100% man. And, and, it, it, and really, honestly, don't let things like that stump you. Just have faith. That, that, that's called, that, the theological terms is called the, the hypostatic union or the kenosis. It, it, listen, listen, you can get in a mouse wheel about those things and say, I just can't understand this. Well, there's a lot about God I don't understand, and that's okay. It's okay. You can just trust what he has given us and written. That Jesus, I, I love this here. Nazareth, uh, Bethlehem had to do with his birth, and Jerusalem had to do with his consecration, and Nazareth had to do with his growth. I like what it says there in verse 51. It says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. And young people, you ought to think about this. It says, And he was subject unto them. Now this was... The Son of God. The one who they never had to say, you know, you did that, or you didn't do that. Jesus never did anything wrong. And yet, he was subject to his fallible mother and father. You know, it's a side note, but something that bothers me in this generation is when young people blame their parents for all their problems. I'm telling, and, and listen. I know not every home is ideal, and and uh, but I know this: there are no perfect homes. And uh, your parents, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what most parents do: they do the best they can. They do the best they can. And I love the fact that here is the perfect Son of God, and He was subject unto them. He, He and Joseph went down to the carpentry shop, and Joseph showed him. He said, "Now, my son." Now remember, Mary and Joseph knew what happened. That he was born of a virgin. They knew this special child. And yet, he said, now here's, here's how you're playing the board. And Jesus, Jesus learned. And he grew in wisdom. And said, it's just, just an amazing, amazing thing. But I want you to, if you would, 
Notice this passage here in verses 41 through 45, and we're going to give some applications. But what we see here, we see, we see the devotion, number one, this morning, and just three points and several applications. But we see the devotion in verse 41 and 42. So look at it. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem, how often? Every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And you, you remember, again, those of you that know your Bible, you remember the feast of the Passover, you remember how it came to be. It was part of the last plague uh, upon Egypt when, when Egypt had, or Israel had been in Egypt for 430 years. And uh, 30 of those, those first 30 years were good, but those last 400 were cruel bondage. And God said, I'm going to deliver you. And remember, he used Moses to do it and used these 10 plagues. And they came to that last plague, where the firstborn, God was going to strike the firstborn, and he said, here's what you do. You take this perfect lamb, you set it apart, you, you take its blood, you, you slay it, put the blood in a bowl, in a basin, you take hyssop, and you sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, and, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And it was, it was a feast, they were to have a feast with bitter herbs, and it was a memorial feast to remember that God had delivered them from Egypt. And he said, I want you to do it every year. It was a week-long feast. So I want you to do it every year. And it became the custom to do it in Jerusalem, to come together. Well, I like that. You know, and, and I know there are places, I know there are places for home church. And God bless people that have church in their home, but I love coming together with God's people. I just, I, I love it around, around the feasts of the Lord. And, and so we have the devotion here. What, you, what, I, what I see from this is, is that Mary and Joseph were devoted followers of the Lord. They made time for the things that God said were important. Amen. But then, we see not only the devotion... We see the disappearance, don't we? Ken, going back, I think about those 15 seconds. 15 seconds, I couldn't find my daughter. But look what it says here. It says, verse 43, when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, so a week-long feast here, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. They supposing him to have been in the company one a day's journey. So we have the disappearance here. And, and boy, uh, read, reading some, some commentaries on this is really, really interesting. You know, I, I think it's actually much more simple than people think as far as uh, the way it goes. And uh, especially in, in the, the particular Jewish society, as many times the ladies would walk with the ladies and the, the men would walk with the men and the kids of a certain age would kind of all walk together. And remember, everybody came to Jerusalem for the feast, but now everybody's heading out at the same time. Forgive me, it's like Atlanta traffic. If you have any sense and you go south, you avoid Atlanta. And all God's people said, six lanes of stopped brake lights, amen? That's no... So think about this, that, you know, they, they just assume he's back there with the other 12-year-old boys, and they're, they're walking and journeying. And remember, the Passover was a time of rejoicing. And they, they just, uh, just one, they were with their kinsfolk, their company, they're all heading back to Nazareth. So let's all travel together. This big caravan. 
No matter what the reason, and, and again, some people are pretty harsh on Joseph and Mary here, and others uh, kind of a little bit dismissive, but whatever the reason, the fact remains, they lost Jesus, didn't they? They lost him. It was a disappearance. And then, of course, not only the devotion and the disappearance, but we see the distress, don't we? Forgive me, that's that 15 seconds, but it's even greater because it's an entire day that has gone by. They've traveled a day's journey, about eight hours, by foot. That's a long way. Forgive me, that's a long way to have to go back. Amen? It says there in verse number 44, But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. So again, the supposition here is that he's just amongst the people. He's just amongst the people. And then they get to wherever they're going to. And they stop and get, get ready to refresh. And, uh, you know, maybe Joseph says to Mary, uh, why don't you go get Jesus and we'll, we'll have a little meal here or whatever. And uh, she says, okay. And, and she goes back and goes, I can't find him. He's not here. So it goes from supposition to shock. Amen? I can't find him. I don't know where he is. Years ago. <laughs> every parent has great stories to be able to share. We were at our house in West Washington. We had wonderful neighbors, just precious people. And uh, we had, you know, had a little fellowship, tried to, tried to witness and tried to invite him to church. They didn't come, but, you know, we're always good neighbors to us. And, and uh, so we're just in the house one day, and, and all of a sudden there's a knock on our door. Front door. You know, not too many people came to the front door. It was a one-way back then on Washington. Now it's both ways. And came to the front door, and here's our neighbor with Luke, who's like two years old, in her hand. And uh, she said, I think this one belongs to you. As I was polishing my Father of the Year award, amen. <laughs> and what had happened was, we had a couch that was right next to a window. And that stinking kid, when we had our backs turned, had kicked out the screen and jumped out. <laughs> Two years old, amen. And of course, then, then we had the classic between the father and the mother. Well, I thought you were watching him. Well, I thought you were watching him. Well, apparently, neither one of us was watching him, amen. <laughs> so this, this devotion and the disappearance and the distress, it goes from the supposition to the shock, and then it leads to a seeking, doesn't it? It leads to a seeking, verses 44 and 45. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk, kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. So... Let's look by way of application today, and we're right on time. What, what are some things that can cause us to 
lose Jesus. Now, here's what I want to say this first and foremost. We can lose Jesus, but he will never lose us. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them, that's a gift, <clears throat> eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know what that means? You can't get yourself lost out of a two-hand sandwich. Amen? But we can lose him, can't we? So let me just give you some ways, some, some things that can cause us to lose Jesus. First of all, I think the burdens of life can cause us to lose Jesus. The burdens of life. Life bears down on us, doesn't it? As I've said so many times, you know, you can have a you can have a sick loved one. You can have you can have a, an illness yourself. You can uh, you can have just all kinds of things going on in your life, and consumers' energy doesn't care. They want their money. You can have everything going on, and and and, and the mortgage company is going to call and say your mortgage is 14 days late. The grace period ends tomorrow. They don't care. And sometimes life is like that, isn't it, folks? Right? The, 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 the burdens of life, the, the commitments that we have can grind us down. And if we're not careful, when we need Jesus the most, we can lose him in those burdens. Not only the burdens of life, but I think this so often, and probably more so, I think sometimes the burdens of life drive us to Jesus, don't they? When the burdens come and they're too heavy. But I think the busyness of life, the busyness of life, can cause us to lose Jesus. And I'll give you an example. Everyone who's part of this church knows I, I beat the drum about Bible reading. Uh, and I have, and I will, and as long as God gives me breath. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. If we want a church that's strong in faith, we need people who read the Bible. People who know God's Word. Amen. People are in touch. But have you ever, this, don't raise your hand, and you don't have to say amen. Have you ever gone a day and not read your Bible? Or not read it as much as you would like? What caused that? The busyness of life. It wasn't that you got up in the morning and you say, you know, God... I am intending not to spend any time with you whatsoever. Nobody says that. Why does it happen? The busyness of life. And by the way, that's why you need to set aside time. Because you know what I've learned about the busyness of life? There are very, very few spots in life where it's not busy. I've heard people say, oh man, once I retire. <laughs> I know people that are busier in their retirement than they were before. Amen? There's always something to do. So we can lose Jesus in the burdens of life. We can lose Jesus in the busyness of life. And boy, this one right here, I'm, this one is kind of a confusing one, but, but not so. We can actually lose Jesus in the blessings of life. 
that is simply this. We can we can allow the blessings themselves to be the things we praise instead of the Jesus who gave them to us. And, and listen, I, I, I know, I'm sure I've been guilty of that. I, I think about our church, I think about our, our family, our home, and, and all the things, all the wonderful things, the vacations we've been able to take through the years, how God has blessed us. And, you know, sometimes I think, well, I'm looking forward to that, but I ought to be praising the Lord. And I think sometimes, and I think probably the blessings is a little bit more rare, you know, of, of losing Jesus and the blessings, but it does happen. It can happen. So what can cause us to lose Jesus, the burdens of life and the busyness of life and the blessings of life? And let me just give you a few, few things that can, you know, cause us to lose Jesus. I think indifference can cause us to lose Jesus. When we get indifferent, when, when, when not reading our Bible is no big deal. Huh? When, when somebody said when you miss church enough, you don't miss church. You know what that is? That's just indifference. And I, I happen to think it's the sin of our day, particularly amongst God's people. Just indifference. Just not caring one way or another. Huh. Take it or leave it. I'll tell you what, if you have that attitude, you, you've probably lost your Jesus. I think not only in the difference, but obviously, I think most of us that know our Bible know this, iniquity will cause us to lose Jesus. What's that? Sin. Sin in our lives. Repeated sin, habitual sin, will cause you to lose Jesus in your life. You just, it, it's amazing how iniquity produces indifference. Doesn't it? Because you, you sin enough that you don't really care what Jesus says anymore. I'm going to talk about that, Lord willing, next week in our Sunday morning message. But not only indifference and iniquity, but many times I have observed this through the years, is interests cause us to lose Jesus. We become interested in things that keep us out of the house of God. It's amazing. You know, you, you meet the Christian, he said, uh, you call him up, you say, is, uh, is Joe home? He says, no, he's on visitation. Oh, that's great. You know, his wife says, no, that's what he named his fishing boat. Visitation. Just so when the preacher would call, he'd say, he's out on visitation. Matter of fact, preacher, he's on visitation all the time. That's not what God means, amen? Sometimes our interests... You know, one of these, I, I've had people many, many times, Pat, one of these Saturdays I'm going to come out, well, you've got so many other interests that keep you away from Saturday you just never have. Yes, it's good preaching, Pastor, amen? Interests. Iniquity, indifference. How about this? In what ways can we lose Jesus? Now, we, we talked about how, you know, we cannot, obviously we can't become lost once we're saved. God's got us in his hand. But I tell you what, we can lose the sense of his presence in our lives. And that's really what it is. Losing the sense of his presence. His, his still, small voice. Now we know it's the Holy Spirit, amen, through, through the word of God. But we lose the sense of his presence. Because of iniquity, indifference, and interests in life. 
But you know what else we lose? I think we can not only lose his presence, but we can lose his pardon. And what I mean by that is, again, if you're saved, you're saved. But I've known people that lost Jesus a long time ago, and if I get to talking to them about the gospel, they don't even know whether they're saved or not. I get to the end, Miss Kim, and, and we get to, and they say, oh, I've done that. I, I, I asked Jesus to be my Savior. I was eight years old at a camp or whatever, and I believe them. I believe them. But you ought to read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. It says, if you don't grow, you know, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and knowledge tempers. It says, if you don't grow, you can actually forget that you're saved. If you lose Jesus, you can lose the sense of his presence. You can lose the sense of his pardon. And I think most of all, you lose the sense of his purpose. What's that? What was Jesus' purpose? To seek and to save that which is lost. You know what the church's purpose should be? To seek and to save that which is lost. You know what the individual Christian's purpose is? To seek and to save that which is lost. And I'll tell you what, when you lose Jesus in iniquity and interests, hmm, you know what happens? You don't care whether you witness or not. You don't care whether you share the gospel or not. And I, I'll submit to you, Christian, if you are here and, and you don't have any part in people receiving, and, and listen, I understand not everybody's a Saturday pre-Bibles thing. People give to missions, people tie. That is part of how we support the going forth of the gospel. Yes, 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 I understand that. But uh, and we have a, a slew of gospel tracts out there for anybody and everybody to take with them. Everybody ought to be involved in the sowing of the seed of the gospel. And I'll submit to you, if you're not, you might have lost Jesus somewhere along the way. You might have left him back in Jerusalem. So, in what ways can we lose Jesus? We can lose the sense of his presence, his pardon, his purpose. How about this? Okay, pastor, you got me. I realize I've lost him somewhere along the way. He's still got me in his hand, but I'm not as close to him as I used to be. And that's really what we're getting at here today. Amen. How do I find him? Well, it's right here in the text. It's beautiful. We find him right where we lost him. Isn't that right? That's what they had to do. They had to go back to Jerusalem where they left him. Remember what it said in Revelation 2, verse 4 about the church at Ephesus? After Jesus had praised them, the pastor in the church, how, how well they had done, all the good works they had done, he said this, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember what he said? After that, most of us remember that verse. Remember what he said? He said, Remember from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. You know what he says in essence? He said, Just go back to where you lost him. Have somebody say that to you? You lose your keys. Brother Alex say, Where'd you leave them? <laughs> if I knew that, I'd have them in my hand. Wait, I have them in my hand right now. <laughs> but that's, it's true, isn't it? When you think about it, it's it's so simple, but it's so true. 
say where most people lose them. They lose their devotion time. Private, quiet, I love you, Lord. Speak to me, Lord. Show me wondrous things out of your word, Lord. Devotion time. I think it was Miss Joyce shared last night after she got home from a long day at the ladies' ladies meeting there. I got there. I, I was away, and I came back in. Let me tell you something. Those ladies were having way too much fun. You ladies didn't go to that. You need to put it on your calendar for next year. But then I saw a post from Miss Joyce, and she talked about how I need to, I need to be more patient. And I had, she just said, I just had a wonderful devotion time. You, you need to go back where you, where you lost him. One of the reasons why I love our Bible reading program these last two years, a lot of people lose them in Leviticus. Huh? Get on that, get on that program and just get in the Word of God. God's love letter to you. Go back to where we find them where we lost them. Secondly, and I love this, in verse number 46, if you look there, it says... that after three days they found him where? In the temple. Sitting in the midst of the doctors both hearing them and asking questions. And I don't believe he was stumping them. I believe he was you know, asking them legitimate questions. But number two, not only do we find him where we lost him, we find him in the house of God. Hmm? You know how I can guarantee you can find Jesus here? Because the Bible says in Matthew 18 verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. You want to be a lone wolf? Let me tell you something, you're more likely to be a lone sheep destroyed by a wolf. God doesn't say we're wolves. He says we're sheep, and you know what sheep are supposed to do? Flock together. The sheep that's in danger is the sheep that's all by himself. Find him in the house of God. Again, I'm not mad at anybody today. I'm just I know this that there's there's encouragement, there's edification, there's safety amongst being around the people of God, being with the people of God, in the house of God when you're supposed to be in all God's people said. You'll find him here, working in people's lives. We find him where we lost him. We find him in the house of God. Not like this. Verse 49. Verse 48. It says, When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Again, remember, this is Jesus. Somebody who'd never done anything wrong. And he didn't do anything wrong here. But Mary and Joseph were frantic. Said, we, We've sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? We find him where we lost him. We find him in the house of God. You know where we also find him? We find him engaged in his father's business. You know, we live, we live in the me generation. It's all about me. My troubles, my problems, my this, my that. You want to find Jesus? Go tell somebody about him. 
seeking, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Just, just be about your father's business. Hey, we had Mrs. Prine's funeral on Friday, and it was such a sweet service. And I mentioned this before. Miss Phyllis, and she, she just, she was 96, almost 97. And really, when Carrie and I visited a couple of weeks back, and we, we said Miss Barb, she was just sharp, and you know, forgot a couple of things. But again, 96. And you know what she's been doing for the last couple of months? She's been taking gospel tracts and stuffing them in our free Bibles. 96. Still trying to do something that has to do with Father's business. Father's business is people. Reaching people with the gospel. Helping people grow in grace. Helping Christians grow to reach other people. You'll find them about fathers. Stop, stop with, the, with all the me. And again, you share burdens amongst God's people to get them to pray, for sure. But sometimes it's just, you know what you need to do? You just need to go out and share Jesus with somebody. You'll find them there, always. Engaging in Father's business. So, our application today is simple. Number one, are you saved or lost? Number one, are you saved or lost? You're here today, you're saved or lost. If you were to die within the next five seconds, you're either going to be in heaven or in hell. And you don't have to go to hell. You can trust Jesus. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. All you have to do is admit you're lost and trust Him as Savior. But the other application is for those of us that are Christians. Maybe somewhere along the line, in your journey, maybe the burdens of life, maybe the busyness of life, maybe even the blessings of life, you, you just lost him. Maybe it was through indifference, maybe it was through iniquity, maybe it was through the interests of life, but honestly, just coming before you, God, yeah, I, like, like Joseph and Mary, I lost him. What do, what do I need to do, Pastor? You need to go back to where you lost him. You get to the house of God, when the door squeaks, you need to get engaged in Father's business. And it's amazing, you'll find Him. In all three of those places, you'll find Him. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful...